Many rural hospitals across the nation are fighting the same battles in legislation, operations, and workforce. Advocacy and connection are essential to understanding the issues and taking necessary action to make a difference for healthcare in rural areas. So, how do hospitals influence the state of healthcare across the nation? With dedicated leadership, consistent advocacy, and strategic collaboration between like-minded organizations. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to episode 138 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Chief Communications Officer. Rachel, our guest today, I'm excited. Um, this is someone who is well-versed in state health care issues, having served uh, previously in the state of Michigan uh, as a Michigan Hospital Association uh, member of senior leadership. Uh, certainly very, very impactful in the work that he did for Michigan hospitals and many of those hospitals, rural hospitals, just like Hillsdale. Mm -hmm. So today I'm excited because now uh, our guest today enjoys a new position uh, in similar proximity of what we do here in Michigan uh, in relationship to advocating for hospitals in a new state. So I'm excited today. That's right. We are talking with someone who represents and supports hospital systems across Iowa. Our guest today is Chris Mitchell, President and Chief Executive Officer at the Iowa Hospital Association. And Chris, it is so great to have you on our podcast today. I've, I've been trying to get this accomplished here for about four months, I believe, but we finally were able to get our schedules together. It's great to have you on the podcast. Yes, JJ and Rachel. Hello. I'm excited to be here as well. I, I know we've both been trying to make this work. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Michigan is still near and dear to my heart. JJ, I miss you at miss uh, you. various Absolutely. random meetings where we cross yes. paths and right. um, excited for this reunion and to chat something, chat about things that I know all of us are passionate about. So um, thank you again for this opportunity. Well, thank you. You guys clearly go way back, but our audience would like to get to know you a little bit, as would I. So to start, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at the Iowa Hospital Association? Sure. As JJ alluded to, uh, prior to my current position here in Iowa, uh, I worked at the Michigan Health and Hospital Association uh, for just over 15 years. Uh, during my time there, I, I served in various levels of the organization, really focused on advocacy. I spent time as a, a lobbyist, the lead state lobbyist at the Capitol in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, I was uh, head of the advocacy division there, so both state and federal uh, advocacy. And then looking towards my last couple of years at MHA, I was the executive vice president for advocacy and public affairs. So oversaw our public policy, advocacy, communications, and, and did some work with uh, the, the for-profit arm of the association. So in a 2021, I was recruited to come to Iowa to be the president and CEO of this organization. Uh, you can think of the IHA sort of as a sister uh, organization mm -hmm. to uh, the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. Our mission, our vision, our goals are very similar. Obviously, we are focused on things here in Iowa at this point. And uh, certainly there are some partnerships 
uh, between IHA and MHA. Uh, we do work together on uh, the state of Michigan's uh, inpatient outpatient hospital data. So uh, certainly happy to be here. Miss all my friends and the good times, certainly in Michigan. But uh, this new opportunity uh, has been uh, an exciting time I, uh, for me personally. So um, certainly happy to talk to you all about that today. And we really do look forward to talking to you about some of the work that you're doing there in Iowa uh, that really parallels some of the things that we're doing uh, here in Michigan. But before we jump into all of that, uh, we do this on every uh, podcast episode, and it's just called The Why. And uh, it, it allows our listeners it allows us to know what is behind your passion. And uh, I will tell you right now, for those of you who do not know Chris Mitchell, there is passion when this guy enters a room. Uh, he did remarkable things in Michigan. I know he's going to be doing remarkable things and has already in Iowa. But, you know, really to get down to the basis of it, Chris, what is your why? What motivates you every day to get up out of bed and to do the work that you're doing in advocacy and fighting? And it's a fight. It's a battlefield out there. What's your why? Yeah, I, I certainly appreciate this question and, and it had a little bit of an opportunity to think about this. I think first and foremost, um, from my perspective, I am one of the few individuals who's truly lucky to be doing what I believe I'm supposed to be doing, right? And a lot about that passion and the why is, do you how comfortable are you in your own skin and shoes? And do you love what you do? And I really believe that advocacy for uh, organizations like hospitals is truly a calling. If you look at the mission uh, of each of the hospitals I've had the honor to represent, um, Remarkable things are happening inside hospitals every single mm -hmm. day, and Agreed. they have this unique uh, relationship with the communities that they're in, and that is even more so in rural hospitals, as I assume we're going to get into some rural-specific issues. And hospitals are, are much more than places where people can go for healing. They are economic engines. They are job providers. That's mm -hmm. the place everybody goes when they are uh, in trouble or are looking for help. And the opportunity to fight for those organizations day in and day out is all the motivation I have, I have ever needed to get yeah. out of bed every day. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. So we have had guests from the Michigan Health and Hospital Association on Rural Health Rising many times. Um, and with your experience being a part of MHA and now IHA uh, in Iowa, how have you seen rural healthcare advocacy in particular align across the nation? Yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I was you know a tad nervous, sort of taking this new role. I mean, I had spent maybe a half a day in the state of Iowa before my first interview there. <laughs> um, obviously spending 15 years advocating at the state capitol, yeah. uh, dealing with advocacy. Uh, you know, I'll talk about this later, but advocacy is a relationship business. So I'm taking mm -hmm. all of the relationships that I've had. Uh, with CEOs like JJ and lawmakers across the state of Michigan and saying, I'm going to go put that away and go into this new state 
where I don't even know where any of the hospitals are. I don't know what issues they're facing. And what became super interesting from my perspective, and I don't know if it was the timing, if you think about October 2021, we were in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a huge... uh, there was uh, this galvanizing force around hospitals trying to work together, not saying that they didn't work together pre-COVID, but it came to a different level with COVID. And what I would tell you is, uh, as I talk to members across the state here versus the members in Michigan, I heard a lot of the same things. Mm -hmm. And That has continued uh, the two plus years that I've been here. And that's been focused around uh, reimbursement and workforce. And you might talk about 13 or 15 different issues, but at the end of the day, it really falls into one of those two buckets. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. once I was able to uh, sort of figure that critical piece out, uh, the work could really begin on how do we move the organization forward? How can we uh, best service our members? So really understanding that that a lot of the issues that hospitals are still facing have to do with reimbursement and workforce, and how do we work together to come with the solutions to try to to alleviate some of those those issues for hospitals. Let's uh, drill down a little bit into the specifics of uh, IHA. Um, specifically, as we look at, you know, this is a national podcast, so individuals listening to this may not understand the function of a state association. And and I think it plays a critical role. Uh, and I can give an example. You know, the work that you did in policy and advancement uh, in, in Lansing, that's our Michigan Hospital Association headquarters, uh, really paved the way for better reimbursement for hospitals like mine, supporting DISH, upper limits, you know, making sure that OB stabilization money was coming into hospitals that sustain these hospitals. Because without those payments, this hospital would have closed decades ago. So that's the work that the association does. Because we're not big enough as a rural hospital, we need the pejorative force. We need the power, the force of an association. Not everybody understands that. And those listening to this national podcast may not understand the importance of an association. What I'd like for you to do, Chris, talk to us a little bit about what the IHA does specifically for hospitals across your state. Uh, And then how do you equip your healthcare organizations, you know, for that influence and advocacy uh, that they can do? Because you taught me that lesson, you know, when you were at, at MHA, what can we do? So first, what do you do? And then what can those hospitals do? Yeah, certainly. You know, when I think about, uh, associations, and I'll speak specifically about hospital associations, I think there's, there is, uh, we have a couple of superpowers, right? I think the first superpower is uh, the ability to convene. And when you look at the number of hospitals in Michigan, forgive me, it's like 134, 133. It's been a couple of years since I've been there. And you look at Iowa, uh, we have 123 total hospitals. And so if we are the force to bring all of those people together and um, to get around one or two or three specific messages or bring those people in the room to solve problems that everybody is facing, that is a powerful, powerful tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that we were able to do that in Michigan and we're able to do the same thing here in Iowa, which is fantastic. And yes. the second piece that you were uh, alluding to uh, related to advocacy is, well, if you get that sort of coalition of people, how can you use them to influence uh, public policy. So being able to convene the individuals and then to mobilize those folks forward uh, is, is a key uh, role that associations can solve. Um, as it relates to the IHA specifically, what I would tell you is that we are really grounded in our mission, vision, and values. And, and those speak to what we do for hospitals each and every day and how we approach our work. First and foremost, we, supor- we support our hospitals in achieving their mission and goals by being a valued resource for information, education, policy, and of course, advocacy. Uh, we strive and I believe we do our work with integrity. We engage our members to understand their needs and we're constantly seeking ways to innovate and think differently about healthcare and the challenge hospitals face. And you two both know this, and I bet the lion's share of listeners know that healthcare is this evolving uh, piece, and you have to stay nimble. You have to be willing to innovate. And, and I think that's critical uh, for us to be successful. And we've talked around this a, a lot. We are leaders in advocacy, certainly at the state capitol here in Des Moines, and, mm-hmm. and working closely with uh, our fine delegation in Washington, D.C., in the House and the Senate as well, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um as far as equipping our members to help them be more influential in their advocacy, I think first uh, it has to do with data. And really from the day I started doing this back in 2006, 2007 to now, the need for data looms large. I, I, you know, I talk about this a lot. Back in those days, I would take someone like JJ or Duke Anderson to meet with a lawmaker, their local lawmaker, and they would just simply talk about some of the challenges they were facing. Uh, and that a lot of times would be enough. And the lawmaker would say, hell yeah, JJ is a great guy. Um, let's see what we can do. You go into a lawmaker's office today and you try that. The next thing they want to do is see the data. They're, they, they're like, hey, I, I'm here that. Do you have any data that supports uh, what you're talking about? And really, from our perspective, not only does it drive advocacy, data drives improvement and um, certainly being able to uh, provide data for our members is a key part of what we do. And certainly that starts with our information center. Uh, As I mentioned, there is a data partnership between IHA and MHA, and we help manage the hospital inpatient outpatient data. IHA also does that clearly for the state of Iowa in partnership with the state. That's been a a very fruitful partnership, and we're able to share market data uh, with with our members. We've developed several publications that have led our advocacy, whether that's related to OB, uh, the financial situation, the workforce crisis, and our latest issue, really trying to combat against healthcare worker violence, which I'm assuming that might uh, have been 
bubbled up at your hospital as well, too. Um, secondly, I, I actually, I should mention, not only do we do that with Michigan, the state of Iowa, we do that uh, in 17 other states across the country. Uh, I was just like, going to ask you about that because I know Data Koala has quite a reach. Yes. Uh, so we're in about 17 states. We are all across the map. We do work with Oregon and Washington, with Mississippi, with Michigan, Indiana, Minnesota is our latest partner, uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth Hospital Association. So uh, even as far as Vermont in the Northeast. So we reach uh, essentially every uh, corner of the country, and we're certainly proud of that work we do and the partnerships we have with the state hospital associations there. Um, secondly, uh, and I, JJ, I know you know this, trust is a huge issue, right? Our members need to trust us. We need to build trust with our members. I think we do that by uh, establishing an expectation of excellence with our team. Our staff are leaders in their field. I have, we have former uh, hospital CEOs uh, on our staff. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a former head of the Iowa Medical uh, Society here who also oh, wow. spent time working for Governor Reynolds. We have an mm -hmm. attorney who uh, was the general counsel for uh, one of the largest for-profit nursing home organizations across Iowa. And with some of the transfer and discharge issues, that kind of expertise on our staff, I think, builds credibility with our members and certainly builds credibility uh, uh, with the policy and decision makers across the state of Iowa. Um, they produce high-quality, trustworthy work product, and they are grounded in service leadership and service excellence to our members by building trusting personal relationships with our members we make we were able to make the call to people like jj just like i did in michigan hey we're really pushing on a rural ob issue or uh cr crna uh, oh yeah yeah. Uh, practice. I know that was a big issue for Hillsdale. We're able to pick up the phone and say, hey, we need your help on this. Can you call your local lawmaker and, and let them know how important and how it impacts your hospital? And by building that trust, uh, really showing them uh, really the way, they're, they're very quick to say yes to want to help us. And we cannot be successful without the engagement and the trust of our members. And finally, uh, we do our best to equip our members to be influential advocates by making IHA an influential organization. We are strategic about how we approach our work, what issues we take on, uh, understanding that there are 17 issues I've probably heard about today that need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. But a big part of our success is simply keeping the main thing the main thing and, and trying to drive our members around something that they can get galvanized around uh, and keeping your North Star uh, is very critical in, in success within advocacy, at least in my perspective. Um, so let's talk about healthcare legislation kind of overall right now. What are some of the big issues that you're seeing in healthcare legislation, whether it's specifically in the state of Iowa or at the federal level? 
Yeah, I, I think uh, as you take a look, if we were to talk about several different issues, I, I think we fall back into those same two buckets. What mm-hmm. are we doing related to workforce and what are we doing related to reimbursement? If you go state to state, I think you're dealing with a lot of those things. I think an emerging issue that we're dealing with in Iowa and I presume is happening in, in many other states across this country is the emergence of um, Medicare Advantage plans and mm-hmm. uh, how they are impacting, I think, both the workflow uh, of hospitals and um, really either driving or slowing down the access to healthcare where uh, folks um where folks want to want to see uh, want to get care and where they get care and how they receive mm-hmm. care, I, I think specific to Iowa, um, really looking at this certificate of need issue is something that has been bubbling uh, here uh, first upon my arrival and certainly during this current legislative session. Uh, as, as the folks uh, from Michigan know, this was a, <laughs> a, a, a constant fight in, in, in Michigan as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and what I can tell you in both my experience in Michigan and my experience in Iowa and really talking to my counterparts across the country is every state is going to try to approach CON a little bit differently just based on their healthcare landscape. Sure, uh, sure. Here in Iowa, our, our CON law doesn't prevent competition in the healthcare marketplace. It merely requires a demonstration of community need for service. Mm-hmm. And being able to, to ensure that the state of Iowa is able to offer the continuum of care to ensure that everybody gets what they need and not everybody's doing the same exact service, which creates uh, holes and pockets uh, in the delivery and access to care, uh, either by geography or, or statewide as, as a whole. And, and as, as you know, JJ, this is increasingly critical, especially for rural hospitals who really um, operate on very, very tight, tight margins, meaning mm-hmm. you can't give up one service, but also be expected to keep up another service. And so CON helps align those things. And we're hopeful uh, takes a bigger picture of uh, the healthcare landscape and uh, a bigger picture of the suite of services that hospitals are required to provide. Mm-hmm. Um, as you probably know, or have guessed, as most people would guess, Iowa is predominantly rural state. And I talked about those 123 hospitals. 82 of those and soon to be 83 are critical access hospitals. Oh, wow. Wow. I, I thought you were not, just going to say rural. So when you said critical I access I did not know that. Is yes. that right? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. That's huge. That's incredible. Right. So out of those 123 hospitals, wow. 83, soon to be 83 are critical access hospitals. And we spoke earlier, uh, these hospitals are the lifeblood of their community 
lifeblood yeah. of their communities. They are the ec- economic engine. If something drastic happens to that hospital, it hits that community much different than it does in urban in in, in urban community. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, I understand uh, certainly that pressure that rural hospital leaders face. And and it's also another reason we're happy to be here to support them in any way that they can. And so I I guess in long, it's, it's super important that we, we don't look at CON process as being equivalent to a ban on new service, physical locations and innovation. It's Mm -hmm. simply a step that allows a public discussion on the need for expansion. This is certainly not the same as prohibiting it. We are looking also at preserving the access that we currently have and how do new facilities impact that. And that's the conversation that we've been having uh, with uh, the decision makers here in Iowa. And I think uh, post-COVID, frankly, we had our first hospital closure here in Iowa uh, in over 20 years uh, back in the fall of uh, 2022. And certainly that's impacted the discussion around CON and the realization that there are lots of different factors that can impact uh, the, the financial viability of a hospital. Well, no one other than you know the challenges involved in fighting for or against CON. Uh, you spent a lot of time in Lansing, a lot of political interest on both sides of that aisle. Uh, and some are divided by political affiliation. Some are not. Some are uh, driven by other factors. And certainly it's an emotionally charged issue for a lot of organizations. Uh, for me, you know, I support the CON process in Michigan. I think it's important. Uh, and But those in my party feel differently. And so, you know, there's always some, some constant back and forth. Uh, MHA was successful in making sure that uh, we did not revoke the CON process, which was heavy on the radar of our last speaker, uh, and that was defeated um, and, and not, I guess, picked up. But certainly a lot of work on your part in Iowa, it sounds like, that you'll be navigating those waters. But good news is you have the experience. So right. they're in great hands. Uh, let's transition into a, into talking about something that's impacted every hospital across this country, and that is workforce. Uh, and building a talent pipeline. Uh, Chris, it is so difficult for us to recruit. We have, I think, 40 open positions right now or or close to 40 open positions. We've been trending uh, those for about the last two and a half years. Uh, one point uh, heightened, we are at 60 openings, never in the history that I've been here since 2010 have we ever experienced that. Um, but we're seeing, you know, there just seems to be this this gap in talent and very concerning because uh, if we can't hire staff, uh, I can't fill beds. For example, uh, recently I've had to shut down part of my skilled nursing facility because I didn't have enough staff. Uh, We've had to board uh, individuals in the ER because I didn't have staff to take care of them upstairs. Uh, And so it's starting to impact patient care, starting to impact, you know, really how we're delivering medicine in Michigan. So I guess my question to you is, What's happening in Iowa as it uh, relates to the talent pipeline? Are you seeing some of the the same workforce issues that we're experiencing here in Michigan that you knew about uh, prior to taking this job? 
Yeah, I think the short answer to that is, yeah, we're we're experiencing the same workforce challenges. And I think, J.J., I don't have to tell you, obviously, recruiting in, in more rural facilities uh, is a little bit harder than it is in, in some of the urban areas. And that's for a lot of different reasons. You know, I think first and foremost, um, you know, you have to bring a family and a spouse with you. So even though one one uh, member of the household can work at the hospital, is there uh, adequate work for the, the spouse there? Uh, really, if we want to take a snapshot at Iowa as a whole, right now between full and part-time positions, we're facing around 10,000, uh, uh, is that right? Yeah, 10,000 vacancies statewide. 10,000. 10,000. And that number has stayed pretty stable for the past 12 to 18 months. Um, And I think uh, as you look across the country, you're seeing the same sort of challenges. And we do, we must point to there must be a pipeline issue. I I think here uh, in Iowa, among some of the job openings, listed by Iowa, the state of Iowa's workforce development this month. We're looking at RNs, obviously, nursing assistants, uh, LPNs, uh, physicians, physical therapists. Um, So those are the top 10 job openings, not just in healthcare. Those are the top 10 job openings across the workforce in the state of Iowa. Uh, If you look at the employers with the most uh, posted o- openings. One would be familiar to you, Trinity Health. Uh, they uh, own one of the largest health systems here in Iowa, uh, Unity Point Health, another large health system here, uh, and really uh, has driven a lot of the conversations in the public policy arena. And really, our fine governor here, Governor Kim Reynolds, huge proponent of the registered apprenticeship program and mm-hmm. work-based learning uh, has mm-hmm. invested lots of discretionary funding into innovative uh, registered apprenticeship grant programs, such as the, her healthcare careers grant program, hospitals, high schools, community colleges, all partnering together to give high school students opportunities to explore healthcare careers and graduate with a path in healthcare. Really, we talk about uh, the key way of trying to uh, deal with the pipeline issues is we got to get further downstream. We've got to get to kids in high school and middle school and tell them about what great jobs await for them in healthcare, specifically in hospitals. And our strategies are really driven around that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think as the IHA, we're certainly excited about uh, a new portal we're working on to connect prospective nursing students with RN and BSN programs across the state. What we have seen is uh, a lot of prospective students may apply for one or two or three RN or BSN programs that are near their homes or within a geographic uh, re- uh, location of them. But what about all the other nursing schools across the state? How can we connect the pe- the people who want to go in nursing and the schools that have open slots? Mm-hmm. And we're hoping that this portal does that. 
And Mm -hmm. because we don't want students to give up on nursing when there might be another opportunity for them at a different area in the state. And if this is successful, we're just starting with nursing, uh, we will look to expand this to other educational programs in healthcare careers. So that's uh, really a snapshot of some of the mm-hmm. stuff that's going on mm-hmm. related to workforce here uh, in Iowa. Chris, you're, you're moving mountains. You always have. Uh, very proud of the work that you have done here in this state, but uh, they're certainly lucky to have you in Iowa. And before we close out our session today, because believe it or not, it's coming to an end, uh, is that, you know, I, I want to ask you a question. I'm going to go a little off script here, but what excites you about this new year? What are you looking forward to in the work that IHA is doing? And maybe, you know, is there a special project or a task that's just near and dear to your heart that you're really just excited to focus on? Yeah, I mean, I think I think for us, you know, we'll go back to the re- I talked a little bit about the pipeline there underneath the workforce, but on the reimbursement issues, I mean, we're really uh, getting ready to embark on a, a, a new program here in partnership with the state of Iowa and, and CMS that represents the first. Uh, Medicaid increase for Iowa's hospitals in over 10 years. Wow. And uh, it's been a really uh, heavy lift, I think, uh, for us and for our members to get everybody on the same page to make the case to some of the key decision makers. But we are uh, really implementing uh, a new program here, which will benefit the the, hospital hospitals in Iowa to the tune of $884 million. Oh, my goodness. And uh, really, if you look at some of the uh, financial struggles there there have been uh, with hospitals across Iowa and across the country, we know that this uh, level of investment uh, in hospitals to allow them to continue providing access to great quality care 24-7, 365. This is a key linchpin for that. And so we're in the process of of, uh, operationalizing this new program. And I know it's one of the most important pieces uh, of of policy uh, that I've had the opportunity to work on. So I'm excited to be able to to deliver that uh, with with help of uh, my team here to our members. That's a huge win, and that's that's going to make a difference probably for many of your hospitals' mm-hmm. sustainability into the future. Don't uh, try to leave, you know, a massive impression really early during your time in Iowa. <laughs> <there for> <laughs> <us>. <laughs> yeah, give us I some mean, time. $884 million for the state's hospitals. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And I imagine um, a lot of that is going to rural hospitals because we know rural hospitals tend to have a higher proportion of a Medicaid population that they're serving. Um, so with the, you know, those 83 critical access and, and all those other uh, hospitals that are rural in Iowa, that is going to make a huge difference. Huge, yep. huge difference between uh, profitability, uh, sustainability, and continuing to serve the rural community. So great job mm-hmm. to you. This has been very enlightening, Chris. Uh, I did not realize uh, all of the stats that you provided. I did not realize the 
uh, the sheer number of critical access hospitals that exist mm-hmm. in your state and some of the work that uh, you're involved in as it relates even to the CON. And it's really been a delight having you on our podcast today. We do look forward to having you back again, maybe get an update uh, here in another year uh, about some of the progress and some of the work that you've done uh, here in Iowa and to see how some of the programs have progressed. I, I do want to thank you. Uh, you do uh, most of our Koala reporting uh, for our market share data. And uh, that has been a tremendous resource for me as I look at, uh, you know, how well are we doing in our region, uh, in, in our what we would call our market. We get that data right from you. And uh, I want to thank you for providing that information. It's been very, very enlightening for me as a CEO. Uh, my my friend and predecessor really never used that information, um, and I didn't know it existed. And I start using it now as I look at strategic partnerships with maybe providers, uh, purchasing practices, as I look at new service lines. It is very, very instrumental in the decisions that we make here. So that's a result of the work that you do. Uh, and I want to thank you for that partnership uh, with the uh, IHA. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the team we have here is fantastic. I personally have not done very much to help you with that data, but we have a, a top-notch team here led by some very uh, yes. passionate and, and smart individuals, and we're happy uh, to provide that service to you and several uh, hospitals, frankly, across yeah. the country. Well, thanks for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And before we close, we love to do a fun segment with each of our guests. Chris, we want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural living and rural life? You got you to remember, people are listening to this podcast that live in big, uh, big city centers, and uh, they don't maybe understand what rural life's all about. But having some experience uh, in Michigan and now Iowa, which is true, truly rural, uh, why don't you tell us about maybe a unique experience? So, okay, first, my first disclaimer is, yes, I live in Iowa and Iowa is a rural state. I live in downtown Des Moines. My grass, I have no grass in my lawn. (laughs) The concrete jungle, I think, is the phrase there. So before I'm judged on whatever my answer is, I want to leave you with disclaimer disclaimer. there. I think for me. Uh, you know, the state of Iowa has has more things, I think, to offer than than what people think. Uh, certainly, I did rib uh, my former boss and head of the Michigan Health and Hospital Association, Brian Peter. At the IHA, we do have an annual pheasant hunt. So I did uh, hunt pheasants for the first time. Um, I think I'm going to stick to... Uh, healthcare advocacy as opposed to <laughs> sharpshooting of any did, sort. Did you get the pheasant? Did you get it? I, I mean, I you know, I, I was able to have shot one or two of them. Good. I don't like to talk about it. It was very, yeah. it was an old thing. Whole yeah. other set, whole other episode just related to <laughs> pheasant hunting. Uh, but also here in Iowa, you know, when you work for a hospital association, you got to get out, you got to get to the people, you got to meet people where they're at. So I've had the opportunity to travel all across the state of Iowa. So for my eighties and nineties, uh, movie fix, I saw both the field of dreams and the bridges of mad Madison County. County. Um, a lot of people don't know. And I didn't know until I was first there, the ice cream capital of the world is in a a wonderful town uh, of Lamar's. Iowa, uh, you should put it, if you like ice cream, 
should put it on your bucket list of places that's to go. That's on my bucket list that, right that'll now. That'll have to be it. Lamar's? Lamar's. Lamar. In the name, that's the name of the ice cream? Yeah. No, Never Lamar's, I, that's the name of the town. Oh, okay. And the ice cream so is... You, the ice cream you, is, uh, you know, the Blue Bunny, all oh, of yeah. that. Yes, that is all... That is, is the that right? place of all of that there. So yes, my sir. wife made me get Blue Bunny uh, mint chip ice cream last night at 11 o'clock. See? That dress is my kind of girl. I and I did. I went out. I went out. <laughs> Jeez. I did. I, I, I'm smart like that. So yeah, got her the ice cream. So that's good to know. We'll have to, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. And so obviously, uh, you know, Iowa's first in the, the nation caucus status means that you can go to the state fair here in August and bump into multiple uh, yeah. presidential hopefuls. And maybe yeah. one time the next president of the United States, they're not a lot of incredible where you can do that and yeah. also get pork chop on a stick or many other foods on a stick. So <laughs> that to wow. me uh, needed to get a shout out as well too, but that's right. The, the, the opportunities are endless here in Iowa, and I'm, I'm happy to be able to have experienced a handful of those during my time here. Well, Chris, again, it's been great having you on Rural Health Rising. We look forward to catching up with you again here very soon into the future. Keep up the great work, my friend. It is certainly uh, the passion that you uh, bring to the table is second to none, and we appreciate the work you've done here in Michigan, but now uh, the folks in Iowa. So thank you, and uh, we look forward to having you back again. All right. Thanks a lot. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com.